night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, and welcome everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, and Jason has a night off tonight. But we're going to be opening up the Garrison Files tonight. Jim Garrison, the District Attorney of New Orleans, is the only individual to have brought charges in the JFK assassination. And many of you are familiar with his work because you saw the movie JFK, the Oliver Stone movie. I think it was like 93, 94, somewhere like, somewhere like that. It's still one of my favorite movies. But the film JFK is based on his book called On the Trail of the Assassins. And it included a lot of very, very interesting information and points, as you saw in the film JFK. Well, our guest, John Barber, tonight will be talking about the Garrison Files. He has additional information from those files that he's been releasing on YouTube, on his YouTube channel. He's also known as the godfather of reality TV. And if anybody knows the origin of this show, you know that this uh, this show was made possible because of the success of Ghost Hunters. And my co-host, Jason Hawes, of course, the founder and um, lead uh, investigator on Ghost Hunters form of reality TV. So I'm anxious to get John's take on how reality television has changed over the course of, what, 40 years now? 50 years, I think, 50 years ago? he Maybe 40 years ago? He uh, he started a show called Real People. So um, that'll be an interesting uh, adjunct to our conversation. And then we're going to talk about his book as well. It's called Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American TV. And that is a uh, an autobiography by John Barber. So a lot to talk about tonight uh, with our guests, and you can check out his website. It's johnbarbersworld.com and get more information about him. We'll be bringing him in in just a few minutes. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Great show for you tonight. We'll be talking with John Barber. Now, John is a Hollywood legend. He's the godfather of reality TV. He's an actor, a comedian, TV host, and an author. We'll be talking about the Garrison tapes tonight, never seen before documents provided by Jim Garrison. They're being released on John's YouTube channel through a series of online and face-to-face presentations. Um, There is a a YouTube channel, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, There's a few there now, uh, and more will be provided as time goes on. So let's uh, bring John into the program. Hey, John, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here. Okay, I'm delighted, and thank you so much. Uh, I'm uh, really thank you indeed, because of course, to me, Jim Garrison was probably the greatest American who ever lived. Uh, that may sound like a handful, but single-handedly, he took on the federal government and the media, and he did solve the murder of John Kennedy. It's in the film, the American Media. And the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And I'm so glad that you brought up the business of the Garrison files since uh, Congress mandated that uh, after uh, the Fuhrer raised by the movie JFK, they passed the Records Assassination Act and they had mandated that last October all the files be released, but President Trump sadly caved into them. And the reason they're not releasing the files, you obviously know, Jay, they don't have blueprints there that say this is how they killed the son of a bitch because they talk in code. What they did not want released are the Jim Garrison files, which 
names, names, the shooters, the planners, the amounts of money, and I am forced reluctantly to release them and let the American government be the judge and jury if Jim Garrison really did solve the case, as I know he did. So I'm honored to be with you tonight, and thank you. Well, I'm fascinated by the Jim Garrison story um, and his work, his book on the Trail of the Assassins, and so much more. And we're going to get into that in some real detail as we continue our discussion. But let's take a few minutes and learn a little bit more about you. Now, you've just released an autobiography. It's called Your Mother's Not a a Virgin. Uh, Tell us about the book. Why did you decide to write it? Uh, Well... Yeah, the, the subtitle of it is The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American Television. And the reason I started to write it, I became a regular monthly guest on the Jeff French show. And I would tell a lot of my show business stories and stories about my life. And a fellow who had a small boutique printing company called Wordsmith Media in L.A., called me up one day, and he said, you know, I used to love real people. That was our favorite show. And when I heard you on Red, I was glad to find out you were alive. But now I'm tuning in to listening to these stories. And he would call me once. I was on just once a month for an hour. And he would call after every show, and he said, he reminded me of my birthday. Hey, listen, you were born April 24th, 1933. You're not getting any younger. You've got to put these stories in book form, and I will publish them for you. So over a five-year period, that's what I began to do. And I must tell you, if you are interested in show business, this is a must-read, Jay. If you're interested in the history of the media and the evolution or the de-evolution of our society and our media and our politics since then, it's a must-read. But more important, Jay, if you come from a broken home or if you're having a tough time in life but you keep going, this book is a must-read because it's an unbelievable Canadian rags to American Riches story. So if you'd like to t- me to tell you just a little bit about myself, and the title of the book came about accidentally when I tried to book Jim Garrison on my morning show on ABC in 1970. So wherever you want me to start, I will start. Yeah, so we only have a couple minutes in this segment. So let's, um, let's talk about the title a little bit. You said that is a result of an effort to book Jim Garrison on a talk show? Yes, I was the original host of a uh, morning news show on ABC in Los Angeles in 1970. Well, what your audience needs to know, and you might be aware of, is that uh, when John Kennedy was killed in 1963, a company could only own five radio That's or right. five television stations right. or five newspapers. There were 1,500 different owners. The worst president in American history, Bill Clinton, who signed NAFTA, sent our jobs overseas, who who repealed Glass-Steagall, which created the recession in 2008, which cost me my million-dollar home. He signed the Communications Act in 1993, and this turned 95% of all our media over to six corporations. They are all monopolies, and they should be disbanded. But in any event, when this happened in 1970, 
minority groups could challenge local television stations. And in Los Angeles, 20,000 Chicanos were gathering every day to challenge ABC because they had no Chicanos on on their air. So they decided as a sop to the FCC to get brownie points, they'd discontinue their cartoons and start a morning news show and I beat out every successful Chicano in town. And I was just a stand-up comic. But I, for some reason or other, they hired me. And Jim Garrison arrested Clay Shaw in 1967. He announced on national news, we have solved the crime. The Central Intelligence Agency did it. And when we get into court, we will get convictions. Of course, the media stepped in and called him a nut, and the government stood in his way for two years. He got into court finally on January 29, 1969, serendipity, my son's birthday. And the media reported that he lost the case, but he did not lose the case. He only lost the conspiracy portion of the case. He won the case that he wanted to win, which was the perjury against Clay Shaw, a very successful New Orleans homosexual businessman. And uh, the government stepped in and stopped the investigation. So it was over. Now, I get the show in 1970J, and I'm in a bookstore, and I care nothing about the assassination. I was like Von Meter. I did a lot of Kennedy jokes in my act. So when he was shot, I lost my act. I didn't lose a president. Von Meter had an album that sold five million copies in one week called The First Family, which John Kennedy refers to in our movie. Anyway, I'm in a bookstore, Jay, and there's a book that says Heritage of Stone. And it's written by a guy named Jim Garrison. I thought, could that be the same guy? I stood there for four hours reading it in the bookstore. And I learned that he had to sue Time Life to get the Zapruder film to show a jury because they would not release it. The Supreme Court made them release it. And then there was a uh, pathologist at uh, Bethesda named Fink who said under oath that he was not allowed, they were not allowed to perform the autopsy by generals and admirals. They couldn't even look at films. They couldn't even look at x-rays. So if you look at the Warren Report, you see a cartoon drawing of a bullet going to the back of the president's head. It looks like Mad Magazine (laughs) drew these cartoons for the Warren Report. So I get up the next morning and I call New Orleans. And this bass baritone voice answers the phone. And I said, could I speak to Mr. Garrison, please? He said, speaking. And I said, oh, Mr. Garrison, my name is John Barber. I just read Heritage of Stone, and he interrupted me. And he said, oh, John, you must be the second one. I only sold two copies. So I told him I had the most successful show in L.A. I've won an Emmy already. We had people like Muhammad Ali. Against the war, uh, Jane Fonda against the war, Cesar Chavez calls to be John, on let's our do show. This. When he's- Sorry to interrupt, but let's do this because we have a break here. Let's uh, pick up the story when we come back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. Welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. We've got a great show for you underway. John Barber is our guest. His website is John Barber's World. 
com. His book is called Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American TV. And John, we had to cut you off, uh, but you had told us, we're, we're trying to uh, work out the, uh, the, the uh, origin of the title of your book, and uh, you brought us up to the point where you had contacted Jim Garrison to be on your show. Pick it up again from there. Oh, thanks. Uh, And I must tell you, I'm so delighted to be talking to you, Jay, because you sound like somebody who is really intensely interested in this story. And so it's a delight to talk to you. I will get to the point about the title of the book, then I'll give you just two or three minutes of my background, because I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about Mr. Garrison or or television, even though (laughs) the book is all about myself. Anyway, I get him on the phone. And he says, you won't get away with booking me. And I said, hey, well, I just won my first Emmy. I'm going to win some more, I'm sure, because of the guests we have and guests like you. I, and he said, John, I'm never on television. They won't let me on television. I only got, uh, I only got on the Carson show by accident because of Mort Saul. And, and so I said to him, Please do the show. It's live. I'll talk to you for half an hour. Then we'll open the phones. We're the first show in L.A. to open phones to people, and they don't ask a question. They may talk to you for five minutes. So he agreed. And then when we started talking, he said, John, you know, it's 1970. It's seven years after they killed our only peace president. That's always how he referred to John Kennedy, Jay, as our only peace president. And he said, you know, according to the Harris polls, 81% of all Americans do not believe the Warren report, and they don't believe that Lee Harvey also did it or acted alone. And I said to him, well, Mr. Mm-hmm. Garrison, with all of that, so many people thinking that, why isn't more noise being made about it? He said, because the next question is going to really depress you. And I said, what was the next question? He said, the Harris Polls asked people, would you like a full investigation again of the murder of John Kennedy, which did not include the help of the FBI and the CIA? And he said only 23% wanted the, a real investigation. What does that say to you wow. about us? Wow. Without missing a beat, Jay, I said, you know, Mr. Garrison, what it says to me is I know what my mother and father did on the pool table or in the back alley, the rumble seat of the car. They had rumble seats in those days. Or in the bedroom, but don't ever tell me my mother's not a virgin. Well, he howled, and he said, you know what, John, that reminds me of what what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said it's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled, and we've been fooled since November 22nd, 1963. And he said the other thing about Mark Twain, who was his second favorite writer, like me, next to Shakespeare. He said, what's the difference between a cat and a lie? I said, I don't know. Mark Twain said, a cat only has nine lives. A lie can go on forever. Well, that's sheer. You've got to love a man like that. Now, basically about me, when I was six years, I came from a severely dysfunctional family. I was born in the Salvation Army Charity Ward in Toronto. And I became from a broken home long before it was popular. 
1939, when I was six, my father went to the peace and quiet of World War II, and uncles in my house were like grapes, Jay. They came in bunches, <laughs> and they always took my mother off somewhere to have sex with her, drink with her, and take her to Buffalo or New York and left me alone. And I lived most of my life on a hockey rink at a reformatory, or I was in the theater, or I was in a library. I dropped out of school when I was 15 years of age. I was arrested numerous times, charged with a couple of felonies when I was 16, ran away to the United States when I was 17 to become a professional gambler. I was deported twice, once when I was 17, and the second time when I was 28, and the second time they were going to deport me, I contemplated suicide, because I'm going to tell you, I have known more people in my life, Jay, who have committed suicide than have died of natural causes, and that runs into a couple of thousand. It's shocking. Some of my very closest friends in show business, uh, Richard Belzer's brother, who jumped up a building in New York. Richard was on that Criminal Mind show or Law and Order show. And when I looked in the mirror and was thinking about it, about am I going to blow my brains out? Am I going to slash my wrists? Am I going to lie on the railroad tracks? I thought, why would I hurt myself when life is hurting me? And then when I looked in the mirror, I thought to myself, I'm not looking at myself, Jay. I was looking for myself, and there was nothing there. And I suddenly realized I would miss me. Nobody else would miss me, and I would miss me. Now, how is it that this kid, 28 years of age, who's contemplating suicide, 15 to 20 years later, creates the number one show in American television. Real people, we used to get a 50 share. Our story of a fellow in New Mexico whose son was killed the first week in Vietnam, he built a private memorial to his son. Our story about him and what happened to him played the major role in getting that Vietnam memorial built in Washington, D.C., where they had the 68,000 names. People, it's the most popular site visited by tourists in Washington, and it was never wanted. First of all, it was designed by an Asian-American. It was a very unpopular war. The only people who wanted it were the families that lost children, lost their sons. Right. We we got it built because Senator Utah, Udall uh, uh, of Utah called and said, "John, could you send me fifty copies of that story?" We got a we got the Navajo Code Talkers, a presidential citation, and we got the Missing Children's Act passed by John uh, for John Adams, uh, John Walsh, because his son Adam had been captured and beheaded, and he had spent months trying to get. A, a, the FBI and the C and, and the police, local police to coordinate and they wouldn't. Our story got it done. And that's the kind of power the show has, aside from being monumentally entertaining. Yeah. We were getting 20,000 pieces of mail a week, wow. and I was making $30,000 an hour at the time I tried to tell Jim Garrison's story. 
10 years later as a result of the success of real people. So anything you want to ask me, I will be happy to tell you. Well, I want to, there's a lot to tell you. Yeah, I want to know about uh, your feelings about having dropped out of school. I mean, we often you know preach, and I think it's rightfully so, that uh, kids need to stay in school. They need to get an education. We often maybe over-preach the fact they should go to college. But you left school early, and you are obviously hugely successful. Do you think getting out and experiencing the real world helped you on this path? You know, that's a great question, because my son asked me that very same question when uh, he was 13 years of age. He was a gifted student, and he was, uh, when he got a couple of years older, he was recruited by Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and Stanford, a very bright young man. But when he was 13, he asked me the same question, and he was the Caucasian Tiger Woods. And he wanted to go to Stanford because that's where Tom Watson went. So he asked me, he said, Dad, why do you want me to go to college? And I said, I never said you should go to college. I said, the only thing I missed about college, son, was friends. Your father never had any friends. And I know a lot of people have gone to college who are still in touch with these people. If you need to be certified, if you need the good housekeeping seal of approval to be a doctor or a lawyer or accountant, you have to go to college. But if you're an athlete or if you're a musician or you're you're just an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you don't need it. You know the guys that broke up Watergate, Woodwards and Bernstein? They were both dropouts. They never went to college. You could do that in those days. I do not think it is necessary. And besides, you can't learn anything in college. They do not teach Americans any longer how to think. They are only training them to get jobs. Yeah. That's all they do at school now. Yeah, I think it's changed significantly. And Bill Gates is another dropout. And Bill Gates founded what was at one point the uh, most uh, profitable, most successful company in, in the world, Microsoft. Um, let's do this, uh, John. We have to take another break here. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I want to ask you your thoughts on uh, the evolution of reality TV. You're the godfather of reality TV. And now reality TV seems to be... Uh, if not the most popular, certainly close to the most popular genre of television entertainment today. So let's take a, a break and we'll talk about that when we come back. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before any else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. JV Johnson here. I'm your host. Jason has the night off. Our guest tonight, John Barber. We're talking right now about his... Um well, I would say he he created a genre of television that has become what we would consider to be the most popular genre of television. That's reality TV. He started it with a show called Real People. John, reality TV has gone through a lot of uh, evolution since uh, you created Real People. And I would say right now it's probably um, the most popular form of television entertainment. Would you agree that with that to be true? Absolutely, because it's the cheapest. It doesn't, you don't need actors, you don't need writers, you don't need directors, really. And as a result of it's being the cheapest, 
it's all it's also cheap. You know, when I got into television, uh, there were only three uh, networks: ABC, NBC, and CBS. And you had to have a modicum of talent or a modicum of intelligence or charm or wit to be in television. But today, to be in reality television, you—it's a matter of fact. It's it's a detriment if you have those assets. The only thing you need to be on reality TV today is an absence of shame. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was it was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Now we have five hundred different channels, and you don't know the numbers of times right. that I see people with that wand in their hands surfing the channels, saying there's nothing on television, and there are 503 channels, which means there are just more straws in the same septic tank. You know, I got involved in wanting to get in television by accident because I said I want to come down here to be a professional gambler. And the first place that I stopped was Lake Tahoe. And the picture in the front of the book is a great picture. It's me at 17 with a $600 suit on and a Stetson, so I looked like I had cattle, you know, and nobody would know how old I was. And I was at the craft table at the Calneva, and everybody started looking at me, and I thought, oh, my God, they know I'm 17 years of age. They're going to arrest me. But soon everybody stopped and looked behind me, and guess who walked in the doors? Frank Sinatra, arm in arm with Sam Giancana, who was the lead mobster in Chicago, and I just read about him in the newspaper, and 20 years later, I was Frank Sinatra's private writer. And on his his deathbed, Jim Garrison shows me, you know, he had sold on the trail of the assassins to Oliver Stone, who made a brilliant movie yeah. mm-hmm. called JFK, and he wanted to make a documentary. And Garrison, through his daughter Elizabeth, said, no, I want John Barber to make it, because he lost two great shows and millions of dollars trying to tell my story. And that's why I ended up doing the two definitive films with Garrison. But I got into television. I went in 1960, I went to try and find my father in in England. Uh, we'd gotten the order of the British Empire. He ended up being very rich and important. We never, we never got along. I didn't get along well with people with money because I guess I never had any. And I became an actor. And I was quite successful. And I could have stayed there and joined the Bristol Old Vic and then the Old Vic Theater. But here I was. I had this miserable life, Jay. And I'm playing make-believe, escaping from this miserable life. And I just stopped one day and I said, I don't want to do that anymore. So I snuck back into the United States illegally. And my idols in television were Jack Parr. You probably don't even remember him. Jack Parr sure, was remember, yeah. the best late-night talk show in history. Unbelievably brilliant. And my other idol was Edward R. Merle. And the reason I love Jack Parr is because he actually talked to people. Now, I came from a family where I didn't know anybody talked. You either punched somebody or you swore at them or you yelled at them. That's what we do in America today. Since the election of Donald Trump, everybody yells at one yeah, another. They do. Civil discourse I want to ask, Spanish. 
I want to ask you Go something. Ahead. Yeah, I want to ask you something because we have to go to break here in a couple minutes, and I want to just stay on the reality TV thing for a second. Um, you know, the sure. gen- genesis of this radio show comes from the success of a television show known as Ghost Hunters, which is a reality TV show. And I think Ghost Hunters was kind of a turning point for for reality TV, and it took it into a different direction, good, bad, or indifferent. It was popular. Um, do you see uh, reality television today? And yes, it is cheap to produce in many, many cases. But do you see reality TV becoming uh, somewhat of a cultural, uh, I don't know, embarrassment at times? I mean, you mentioned people are just trying out with no shame, just trying out to, to outdo each other. Do you see it as uh, as counterproductive? Well, it's not inspiring. Do you, do you can you look at anyone on television, or let anyone in American life who inspires you. I don't see anyone. Yeah, there's nobody there. No one. Not on television, not even in public life, but when I was a youngster, my God, they were all over the place. And Ed Murrow and Jack Powell, after your break, I'll tell you a couple of interesting stories about, about, about them and the value of what television was at that time. All right, so yeah, let's do that. Let's go to break here. It's our top of the hour break. It's uh, it's a hard break that we have to take. And when we come back, we'll get into that. We'll also start talking a little bit more specifically about the Garrison tapes. Now, of course, we're talking about Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison was the district attorney of the of New Orleans, who was the only person to bring a court case uh, related to the JFK assassination. Of course, Lee Harvey Oswald was assassinated before he could stand trial. Trial, and we also know that the government had its hands in trying to. Uh, um, prevent any of these stories from actually being told. And our guest, John Barber, is telling these stories. Uh, we will take your phone calls, too, in the second hour at 844-687-7669. The phone lines will open up during the top of the hour break. Don't forget to stop by our Facebook page and also stop by John Barber's website. It's johnbarbersworld.com. His book is called Your Mother's Not a Virgin, the bumpy life and times of the Canadian dropout who changed the face of American TV. It's Beyond Reality Radio. A lot more ahead. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Before we bring our guest, John Barber, back into the discussion, let's take a look at what we've got coming up on the show next week. Uh, well, tomorrow night, actually, we've got two guests, one in each hour. And uh, Jody Dean will join us. He is a paranormal investigator, a full-time paranormal YouTuber. He's actually caught a full-bodied apparition during a live YouTube stream. We're going to talk about his work as a paranormal investigator and a YouTube streamer. And then in the second hour, we've got Ronnie Dawson, who has experienced it all when it comes to UFO and alien contact. He's a UFO experiencer and alien contactee. He's an author. He's written about this stuff. He's also an alien home invasion survivor, an alien sexual encounter survivor, and a dimensional Stargate experiencer. So that is a second hour of our program tomorrow night. Friday, of course, is a best of show. And then uh, Monday, Jason McLean will be with us. He is a biblical paranormal researcher. He says the existence of UFOs and cryptids like Bigfoot actually validate the narrative found within the biblical texts. So we've got a lot of great programs coming up for you. Our phone lines are open if you want to join our discussion. We're going to be talking uh, in more detail about the Garrison tapes. Jim Garrison, the district attorney of New Orleans, who brought charges in the JFK assassination against Clay Shaw. Uh, He wrote the book On the Trail of the Assassins. You're probably familiar with that work, and you don't even realize it, because it was the basis for the movie JFK, Oliver Stone's film. 
Uh, John, what year was Oliver Stone's film? Was that 93, 94, somewhere in there? Uh, 92. He started to make it in 92, came out in in 93, which was when I did the first... The first Garrison tapes, and you know, I'm so glad you mentioned this business of of UFOs. Uh, a little over a month ago, I was at the one of the largest UFO conferences in America. It was held at Laughlin. George Nury was there. My second best friend in Las Vegas, George Knapp, was there, and the producers wanted me to come down to screen my movie, The American Media, and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, because they felt that the forces that were suppressing the truth about Garrison were the forces suppressing the truth about UFOs. Uh, you, in, in reading my book, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably the only one I know uh, who has... An absolutely open mind. A lot of people like my take that there's <laughs> nothing in it. Well, uh, it's true. There's nothing in there that is a belief. I do not believe in anything. I either know something or I do not know something. And there are some very funny stories about how I lost my belief. But when you read the book, and a lot of people have said this who've read it, that there was, because everything wonderful that happened to me happened by accident. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I was in the library, I was 12 years of age, and I read a line from a, a Civil War book. A 19-year-old boy had been shot, and he was about to die, and he called the minister over. And he said to the minister, you know, Father, everything I prayed to God for, I never got. But he gave me everything I needed. I never forgot that, and yeah. that has happened throughout my life. How is it that somebody with my background, not trained for any of this, somehow had these magical things happen to me? So I have no other way to describe it, but I know that as Hamlet said, <laughs> he said there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophies. And I've lived an accidental, unplanned life that is either predestined or planned. And I don't know how else to say that. But I just want to say one thing about Jack Barr. I became a stand-up comic because that's what Jack Barr did and Carson did at the top of their shows. And very successful. I have never believed in my life that anything was difficult. And I, I had two albums. You can go to my website, com. My first album is called It's Tough to Be White. Still topical, liner notes by Dick Gregory. My second album was called I Met a Man I Didn't Like with liner notes by Neil Simon. I was Bob Goulet's opening act in Vegas and Bobby Darren's opening act. And enormously successful, which led me to getting my first news show, which, 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 which was the AM show. But anyway, let's get to the business of uh, the Garrison tapes. Yes. And, and yeah. How do, you want to, how do you want to start this conversation? Because, you know, the official version of the assassination is a single gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald. And I know that's morphed a little bit as uh, su subsequent Congresses and congressional uh, 
committees have looked into it, and there have been some alternate um, ideas floated and uh, you know decisions made. However, the, still the overall writing uh, belief from the government is it was a single government uh, gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald. He was shot by Jack Ruby before he could stand trial, and Jack Ruby dies. So you know it's just a it's just a myriad of uh, what some would say coincidences, others say very suspicious circumstances, and then Jim Garrison comes along decides uh, he's going to start looking into this. Give us a bit of the background of what he saw that made him want to take on this investigation, which effectively brought the federal government down on his shoulders. He believed the Warren Commission because he never read it. When I interviewed him, I finally got the chance to interview him, put him on camera for three hours because I was going to tell his whole story in 1981, it was September 5th, 1981, because I had just read that House Select Committee on Assassinations had found a dicta belt left open by H.B. McLean, a motorcycle officer, that recorded more than four shots, multiple shots. So they had no choice to rule that it was a conspiracy. It is now a cold case. But I'm going to put that on pause again for a minute. So when I sat down with him, I asked him, how he, how, how he changed his mind. He said, John, I was with the FBI. I was in the military. I was at Dachau when they, when they, uh, when we, when we rescued those people being put in, in, into gas ovens. The only picture he had in his office was him sitting at the bombard fence and he wrote underneath it, lest we ever forget. And he said, I was an authority syndrome. I was a victim of authority until I accidentally met Congressman Hale Boggs. Congressman Hale Boggs was the dissenting member of the Warren Commission, and his dissent was never published. Well, he met Jim, Mr. Garrison, on the plane, and he says that kid with that old crooked man looker Carcano in that sight couldn't shoot nothing, couldn't shoot rabbits. And so Garrison got three sets of the 26 volumes of the Warren Report. Had one in the car, had one in his home, had one in the office, and memorized it. And because Oswald had been in New Orleans, he opened his investigation. And he solved the crime in a matter of a year and a half. It was the sloppiest murder in American history. Don Knotts could have solved it at 3.30 in the afternoon. What was superb was the cover-up, which continues to this day. Now, let me get to some important facts. The the, uh, one report was an absolute and total fraud. Because people believe Dan Rather, when he went on television and said the bullet strikes him in the back of the head and his head goes forward. Everybody believed Uncle Walter Cronkite, the voice sure. of America, sure. and Dan Rather. Okay, so we don't see the Zapruder film until 1975, when it's shown on Geraldo Rivera's show with Robert Groden and Dick Gregory. And we see that his head is blown off, and if there hadn't been a back seat, as Jim Garrison said, he would have been 50 yards down the street. And the motorcycle officer to his uh, 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 le- uh, left was c- splattered with brain tissue. The bullet went through his head and out, out the back. So what happens 
is that the American people stormed Congress for another investigation. What nobody knows is that the first person assigned to investigate it is the toughest prosecutor in America. His name Richard Sprague out of Philadelphia. Put a lot of mobsters in jail, a lot of government officials in jail. We have a clip of him in the film, and he says we are going to solve this crime as a staff of six. He said, because we are not hiring any FBI or any CIA, they're going to be investigated. Well, there are 400 CIA assets under an organization called Project Mockingbird, created by the CIA, that took over the New York Times, the Washington Post, Reader's Digest, every television network in America, to create fake wars like Vietnam. A fake war with the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. The biggest fake war, Iraq, with weapons of mass destruction. And now we have fake wars with terrorists who were non-existent for crying out loud. This is what Eisenhower warned us about when he left office and said we have to watch out for the growth of the military-industrial complex. And he left it for a 43-year-old man to try to solve. So in any event, they set up the House Select Committee, and it's sabotaged. And the CIA and the media assets appoint G. Robert Blakey, a CIA law professor hack who turns the entire proceedings over to the Central Intelligence Agency, writes a stupid book blaming the mafia. Now, you know, if Italians had killed the president, there wouldn't be a pizza parlor in America. Then he dedicates his book to the Central Intelligence Agency. Another sham. It is still a cold case at the Justice Department. And I think all of these assassination sites are as infiltrated by the CIA as the New York Times and the Washington Post. They're all distracting. Instead of meeting in Pittsburgh or Dallas or New Orleans, every November 22nd in this country should be America's Bastille Day. They should be congregating by the thousands in front of the Justice Department to have that cold case open. And at the end of the film, I take a wanted poster, because in in, 85, in 81, when I interviewed Mr. Garrison, he gave me a long list of people who were still alive who should be questioned. Some of them are still alive, and I had 10 of them on the list. I delivered the 10 most wanted poster to the Justice Department at the end of the film. It is it, the most, you know, when I started making the film, I called a bunch of my writer-producer friends in Hollywood, and I said, what's the most important movie ever made in this country? And, of course, they say, well, Citizen Kane or Gone with the Wind or The Godfather. And I'd say, no, great movies, works of art, but not important. Something important improves society. Only two films have done that, Network, Patty Shayevsky, but most importantly, JFK by Oliver Stone. I am telling you that the second part, the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which is only $2 on Amazon and a monster hit, is the most important movie 
ever made in this country. And I say that wow. as a film critic for t uh, 10 years at L.A. Magazine and a multiple award film critic at NBC. I was the first person in this country to review movies on television. Wow. So I say that without humility. Right. It is a, a film that people should watch. Um, John is a, uh, a TV pioneer, actually. He's also an author and uh, he has a YouTube channel that has been releasing the Garrison tapes. And the Garrison tapes, John, this is probably a good point. We only have two minutes, actually a little less in this segment here, because we went long in the last one. Um, what's the difference between the information that we already know that Jim Garrison uh, had and released versus what you're uh, releasing on the YouTube channel? Okay, in two minutes, uh, we can always I, I pick it up on. Yeah, we can pick quickly, it up on the uh, other side. Yeah, we can. okay. Uh, I'll I'll start. Um, uh, Jim Garrison. I have sixty-seven files of Jim Garrison's, and I began to release the files about the two and a half months ago, and I do one every every three weeks. The first one I released was the Clay Shaw file, and in the Clay Shaw file. There were things there that would have gotten him a hundred years in prison if he'd gone to trial for the uh, for perjury on which he was convicted. The jury convicted him of perjury, and the government stepped in. The first thing is he had the most devious, degenerate homosexual lifestyle. And in the file, you have a bunch of $20 male hookers talking about what they had to do with this successful businessman, Clay Shaw, and then David Ferry. There's a professor from Northwestern University whose best friend lived with him for a year and a half after a year and a half at a sex change operation. And when he became a sheik, Clay Shaw kicked him out. Now, you take it, and then there's a guy named James Whalen who under oath to Garrison testified that Clay Shaw offered him $25,000 to murder Garrison, 10000 in advance and fifteen after it was completed. And he said he really thought about it, but not for the money, but he had a very, very ill daughter. And Clay Shaw promised him the best doctors in America if he would murder Garrison. Now, do you think Clay Shaw... Now, this is the wonderful thing about Garrison. John, we were talking about the Garrison tapes and uh, the difference in information that was that's contained in those tapes as you release them on YouTube versus the information that we've had for quite some time, the information that Jim Garrison put into his book on the trail of the assassins, much of it we saw in the movie JFK. And I had to cut you off there. You were talking about Clay Shaw and that particular case. Why don't you pick it up there and, and continue to tell us what we what are in those tapes? Okay, Clay Shaw is a very successfully, socially prominent businessman in New Orleans, and Jim Garrison would not allow any information about his homosexual lifestyle in the conspiracy trial because he said it had nothing to do with the murder. But he knew that Shaw would confess before he would have his life destroyed by having all these male hoaxers and transsexuals coming in there talking about having sex with the man. And that's why the government stopped the case, and then they shortly stopped his life. He had a heart attack and died without an autopsy. Then the second part, now, what I do is I take six or eight of the most important pages, but I put the entire file up there. It's like 100 pages. So you can go to my site and you can 
look at my YouTube, which is six or seven minutes long, but then you can read the documents, and there are many more. Then the next son I did was Oswald, because he was the guy that was shot, and by far the least important person involved with the murder. That's one of the saddest, but by far the least important, because he was cleared on November 22nd, because he failed the paraffin test, he never fired a gun, and witnesses never saw him in the sixth floor window. They saw him downstairs. And two of the things there were quite startling. One is Margarita Oswald, the mother, is telling Jim Garrison she doesn't think the guy that came back from Russia was her son because of the texture of the hair and the fact that he wouldn't talk to her and stayed away from her for about a year. And then there's testimony from other people who talked to Lee Harvey Oswald in New Orleans while he was supposedly in the Soviet Union. But the fellow that who was with him in the in the Marines said he was only five feet seven. But the Oswald in Russia was five feet eleven. So obviously they were setting up Oswald to be the patsy, and they were very, very successful at it. But to me, the most startling file was the last one I released, and it's called The Death of David Ferry. The reason I looked at that file, Jay, because I thought I'm going to see an autopsy report. This shows you how brilliant and thorough Jim Garrison was. It's 84 pages of everything that he could gather from the absolute moment the gunshots were fired. And I said that Don Knotts could have solved this crime because what he uncovered, there you have Dr. Perry saying the throat wound was an entrance wound. You will see newspaper headlines. What he gathered is he gathered all the newspaper clippings, the police reports, eyewitness accounts, everything he could find from reliable sources. You have newspaper headlines saying multiple shooters. Absolutely staggering. Now, there are two things that are even more staggering than that. Jim Garrison pointed out, he said, John, when they rob a bank, the first thing they do is they set up a roadblock around the bank. He said the CIA stopped the Dallas police from setting up a roadblock so they could facilitate the escape of multiple shooters, and there's also a headline you will see that says multiple shooters. But now here's the most astonishing thing. You've all seen, it's in every documentary about uh, the assassination, you see a newspaper man holding up a, a reporter, holding up a microphone to Lee Oswald, and he says, did you kill the president? And Lee Oswald says, No, this is the first time I've heard about that. You've seen that clip? Sure, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, it's in my documentary. It's in every documentary. And I thought, well, maybe that's a question that was asked after it was brought in from the Texas theater. But that's not where it was at. Guess what? He was was interrogated, supposedly, for six hours by Curry and his cop. And you know that in the six hours, Lee Harvey, uh, supposedly he was arrested for shooting Tippett. Mm-hmm, that's that's right. what was announced to the press. 
in the six hours. Now, Curry says we didn't have room for a tape recorder, and we didn't have room for a stenographer. Just a dozen of these big cops with their magnums at their sides and their stetsons on their heads. During that six hours, Lee Harvey Oswald was not once asked if he shot Tippett or the Kennedys or John Kennedy. Now, what Garrison did is he found two people who were in the room, and they testified to the fact that they were never asked after he was never asked this question. So that clip that you see is when he's released from the interrogation. Now, I'm speculating, and Garrison's speculating. He he only speculated twice ever when he was talking to me. Everything was a fact, absolutely everything. But he says, imagine, John, you're 24 years of age. You're this kid, and you're surrounded by all these big Texas mean cops. And if they ask you, did you shoot the president? The first thing you're going to say is, no, I'm with the CIA. (laughs) They sent me down here to stop the assassination, which is what they did. That's how they set him up. And he, and you would have, and he would have said, and I even called the FBI to say there's a plan to kill the president, which he did. And it was at that point that he realized he was a patsy. That's why when they're dragging him down the hall, he's screaming, I'm a patsy, I'm a patsy. He would have never been convicted in a court of law. And the other thing that Jim Garrison found, he found the guy who gave Ruby the orders to shoot Oswald, and it was simple CIA detective work. There was never an investigation into the murder of John Kennedy. As a matter of fact, in the film, we point out that the government spent $18 billion dollars to stop any investigation into the murder of John Kennedy, and Jim Garrison spent only $8,000 trying to get the truth out about the murder of John Kennedy, and he only got it out in Playboy magazine and in uh, in uh, one other period, Ramparts magazine. Wow. So as, as this information comes forward, is there... Is there a point where we're going to be able to look at all of this and maybe more documents need to be released from the federal government and we can actually get a real investigation into what happened in Dealey Plaza? I don't think that's ever going to happen. The only person who could do that is Robert Kennedy Jr. And it was a shame that he signed uh, that petition that went uh, three months ago that went to Congress asking the Congress to look into all the political assassinations of the 60s because the Kennedy killing is a linchpin. You you solved that, and you've solved them all. But the thing is that it's not just a few people that are going to come down if the truth comes out. It's literally going to be thousands. It's going to be Congress people. It's going to be bankers. It's going to be senators, politicians. It's going to be half of the media. Half of them will lose their life. I mean, the yeah. culture, will, the culture, our America will be literally destroyed. But you know, Jim Garrison, the last chapter in the film is a tombstone of Jim Garrison's. He said, let justice be done, though the heavens fall. And if you're going to drain the swamp, then you have to let justice be done. I think, quite honestly, the only thing that could happen 
is if Donald Trump means what he says about fake news, he can solve it all, not with a bomb, but with a pen. Just sign an executive order reversing the Communications Act and return all the media to the 1,500 people that used to own it. I mean, they say that it's the public airwaves. It's not. It's the corporate airwaves. And they're monopolies. You remember when they broke up AT&T in the 60s and 70s? Now we have 12 great telephone companies. And then I was in the motion picture business, and they broke up the motion picture industry because the studios owned the theaters in which they showed them. And they were dismantled, and now we have all kinds of production companies all over America and Canada. It's been quite successful. I think if Trump wins in 2020, he's just liable to do that. Whether he does or not, I have no idea. That's what I think is the only way that this can be solved. Because the truth is, if you're talking, Jay, about opening up the murder of John, everybody knows the government murdered him. And, you know, it's easier to prove that Sirhan did not murder Robert Kennedy because I was, uh, I, I'm, I and Godfrey Isaacs, who was uh, Dr. Noguchi's attorney, in the 80s, we created the Citizens Committee to save Thomas Noguchi's job as the independent coroner of L.A. Because in, the, in his coroner's report, as you'll see in the documentary, the shot was fired from one and a half inches behind the left ear. And Sirhan fired blanks. And the reason he fired blanks, because the two shooters behind Kennedy might have been shot had there been real bullets. I mean, it's all simple. It's totally simple. The, the genius of what they do, have done is the media cover-up. And Jim Garrison in the film says, I don't want to name names, but they had to start off with the help of the media to create the fiction before the reality and the truth set in. Well, the reality and the truth is there, but it's never being reported, and it will never be reported. And the the uh, here's another, by the way, I don't want to tell you how I lost real people or my $30,000 a week job. That story is in the book, and it's a... It's a wonderful story, and I don't want to tell how I was inspired to do part two only because of Donald Trump when he was running for the presidency and began to sound like Garrison because he was talking about fake news. So Donald Trump was the inspiration for doing a second one. But here's the by the way. You can go to the congressional record, and there's Congressman Hill Bob saying we have to fire J. Edgar Hoover. He has lied to us about the murder of Martin Luther King and John Kennedy, and we have to investigate the CIA and the FBI and have a new investigation. And shortly thereafter, he's driven to the airport, gets on a plane, and it disappears over the state of Alaska. The plane is never found, and neither is, is his body. And guess who drives him to the airport? Who? Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton was probably with the CIA from the time he was a student. And then he said he went to uh, Oxford. He didn't. He was sent by the CIA to the Soviet Union. And that's all part of the record. So all of this, but, you know, 
All of this, oh, okay. t- tell, tell me how you're releasing this on your YouTube channel, because we only have a couple minutes left, and people are going to want to go to your YouTube channel and, and get more of this information. Yeah, just go to johnbarbersworld.com, or you go to YouTube. You could you go to YouTube and just look up the Garrison tapes, Oswald, Shaw, or Ferry. The most interesting one to read is Ferry, because if you read those 84 pages, you never have to buy another book in your life. You never have to look at another movie or even my documentaries to know that Jim Garrison solved the case that day. He solved it that day, so that's what it do. And then, of course, if you want, and you can see the first Garrison tapes for nothing. It has had one million views and was never distributed in this country, even though Oliver Stone said publicly, and it's on the DVD. John's film is the perfect companion piece to my movie. How much more work has to be done, John? I mean, you've you've been you've been rolled your sleeves up for this, and you've been working at it a, a long time. How much more do you have to go to to teach people to inform people? Well, you know what? I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. People ask me about UFOs and Robert Kennedy. Who know all those things really, really well. I stay away from everything except the JFK murder because that is the linchpin. And the man who solved it is Jim Garrison. And I'm just trying to tell Jim Garrison's story and get vindication for Jim Garrison. The rest will all take care of itself. And I I love doing it. I'm I'm a storyteller. That's just what it is that I've always done for a living when I was a kid. Reading stories and listening to them kept me alive. And now that I'm older, it's the telling of them that's keeping me alive. And I must tell you, quite honestly, Your Mother's Not a Virgin is probably one of the best, most inspiring or entertaining or fun of informative books you will ever read. And you don't even have to start at the beginning, Jay. You know, I was the first person gonged on the gong show. Let's say... You're interested in that story, open up to the middle of the, read five or six really interesting, funny pages about my experience there. So, I, you know, I'm so delighted to be on your show, because it's very rare you can talk to somebody who obviously has the passion that you have for this case. Yeah, it it has fascinated me fascinated me since I was young and I think the you know JFK like it did for a lot of people the film put it a fire under many who wanted to get to the truth here. Now, um it, we have about 30 seconds left here and I did want to ask you this so I don't want to leave before we let we we'll let you go before I ask. The um film itself is a pretty good representation of Garrison's work in On the Trail of the Assassins. But there are some variations from, from the book. And are there any in that film that are uh, that are egregious enough that we need to point out? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, the truth is that uh, Jim Garrison uh, uh, never met with Fletcher Prouty. Uh, but in the book, they, they're sitting on a bench in Washington, D.C., but the dialogue is the same because they exchanged letters. So the meeting was false, but the conversation was accurate. No, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant film. And you know, there was a time, you know, there was a time when Americans used to 
changed society with books. I mean, the reason we have decent food is because of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle about meatpacking in Chicago. And the reason we're interested in the environment is Rachel Carson wrote The Silent Spring. Americans don't read anymore. Yeah, and yeah. they depend on television. They and do. Television doesn't do it anymore. You're right. Nothing. Nothing. It's somewhere on the internet. Yeah. Hey, John, John we're just... We're, and shows like yours. Yeah, well, thank you, John. We're simply out of time. It's, it was a fascinating conversation. We fit a lot into these two hours, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you so much, and thank your listeners, too. All right. Uh, John Barber, uh, go to the website, johnbarbersworld.com, and check out the YouTube page. We'll be back in just a minute to wrap things up. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Well, what a night. Thank you to John Barber for being with us. Very fascinating conversation about the JFK assassination in the Garrison tapes. Uh, check out his YouTube page and his website. It's johnbarbersworld.com. That's going to do it for tonight. Remember, tomorrow night, two guests on the program, one in each hour. Jody Dean, a paranormal investigator, will be talking about his uh, paranormal YouTube channel and catching a full-bodied apparition during a live stream. And then the second hour, Ronnie Dawson. He has survived all sorts of alien and UFO contact. He'll be discussing his experiences right here on the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here. We'll catch you tomorrow night. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.